everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Trucking Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with fellow Regional Master Instructor Miss Wendy Batts. How are you today, Wendy? I am good, Marty. How are you? Awesome. You know, I always look forward to this. I think we got a fun topic today. Maybe make people scratch their head a little bit and go, you know what? I never thought about that. I like those types of uh, webinars and podcasts that we do to make people think outside the box. And I think uh, today with uh, some of the information that you had, I know that we've we've kind of talked a little bit about resistance and and how it's important to change it up. Um, you know, your body adapts every four to six weeks. So I'm really kind of excited to uh, to dive into this topic for sure. Yeah. And I think going back to my early days in fitness, we used to talk about strength training. Then when I saw NASM as in it, also when I got through my undergrad degree, I realized that strength training is a part of resistance training. So today's topic is resistance profiles because there are different ways to challenge the muscular system. And each one has unique characteristics that can be utilized differently. So, you know, the key thing is we're going to talk about resistance, not just strength. Strength is a part of it. But resistance is that continuation of corrective exercise all the way through the OPT model into our performance enhancement specialists. Yes. So let's dive in and talk about what we're going to talk about. How about that? I like how you, <laughs> I let you run with that because you said it so eloquently. Yeah. Well, today we are going to talk about, you know, defining what resistance training is. And to your point, you kind of already did that, Marty, but I think it's important to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page when we go through this. So we're, we're speaking the same language here. So we are going to define it. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the, the benefits of resistance training. And I think it's important, like you said, we're talking about these different forms of resistance training. But if you're always doing a chest press the same, over time, you're going to get the same results. And so that's what, unfortunately, we see um, oftentimes at the gym when somebody walks in, they go to their staples, meaning, you know, if it's chest day, it's Monday, right? National Monday. chest day. They're going to go to the bar, you know, whether they've warmed up or not, and they're going to, you know, throw out their reps with the exact same amount of weight each and every time, but they're not seeing the gains that they could versus if sometimes they're using dumbbells, sometimes they're using cables, sometimes they're using the bar and other times they're just doing different types of movement patterns that are mimicking the same same movement that they would on that bar. Um, and, and they're going to notice too, that if you switch it up each and every time, you're going to start to notice that you're going to get stronger because you're, you're challenging your body and your stabilization, stabilization system, the stabilizers, the prime movers, everything in different ways because of the way gravity, um, is, is taking, um, you know, becomes a factor as well as, you know, the actual resistance that you have on whatever piece of equipment or tools that you're using. Yeah. And when I fell in love with NASM back in, let's call it 2000 or so, you know, coming out of sports medicine, you know, strength and conditioning background, I understood concepts and I always remembered there had to be a way. This is where I started seeing people say, well, this is my method. This is my method. And I'm not saying they were totally wrong, but people were kind of very focused on something. When I saw the model methodology, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I was looking for. There's a periodization, there's a, a do this, then this, and then move to this and then move to that. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. Hence why, you know, we wanted to, you and I both wanted to become masters of this content, not necessarily create our own. Now we can be very unique with this, but then when we get to the resistance profiles, that's a whole nother thing in a sense. And it's covered with NASM, but you know, we can add in, you know, in what phases you can do these resistance profiles, 
but I view it as just like the model is a recipe. If I want to make, I don't know why chicken Parmesan came in my head. Maybe it's because I love <laughs> Italian food, but you better have the right ingredients because if you don't, you're not making chicken Parmesan, even if that's what you wanted. And I think that the model, and now that we talk about resistance profiles, gets even more specific with the ingredients. So you get the very specific outcome that you're trying to accomplish. Yes, you definitely need the recipe book. And that's how you can look at the, the model. Because if you told me, like, now it's time for me to go make this. <laughs> there's no telling. I mean, you know, as much as I love to cook, which is zero, mind you, um, oh, me oh, trying yes. to figure some of this out on the own, my own would not be good. But let's actually define what we're talking about. So when we're talking about resistance training, you know, people often term, you know, call it strength training or weight training. Again, all, you know, all talking about the same thing, but it's the use of resistance muscular contractions to build strength, anaerobic endurance, and the size of the skeletal muscle. I mean, the reason we work out, people really want to strengthen muscles and actually have them grow depending on what part of the model we're using, especially when we get to muscular development in phase three. So resistance training is technically a form of training. And so when we're looking at, you know, the, the definition here and you're really thinking through what we're trying to talk about, you know, this is designed to improve muscular fitness by exercising a muscle a specific way or the muscle group. So here when we're talking about muscle group, you know, you can't really necessarily utilize just your pec major, your pec minor is going to be involved, your anterior delt is going to be involved if you're doing some kind of pressing movement. So you want to think about the concepts and the different muscles that are going to help support that prime mover that you're focusing on. And we do that by, you know, having external resistance. Well said, this Bats. Thanks, man. <laughs> so we'll move over here to the next slide. So I think a key point, and this is just review, this has been in your material, the general adaptation syndrome. This is that theory governing all adaptations, you know, from a training response, right? You get what you train for. If you, you know, train heavy, you might get stronger. If you train for long duration, you're going to have better endurance. It's pretty simple. And you can see this goes back almost now we're getting closer to hundred years than we'd like to admit 1936, you know, by a Canadian physician. So this is how an organism adapts when it's exposed to acute or damaging stimulus. We know damaging to muscles fine because we recovery no, you know, but we know we have to stimulate the muscle for some level of trauma so it can adapt. But this goes back to ancient Greece with mile of Croton. There's a story that, you know, he had a young calf and he would carry the calf, all the way to the market as the calf grew, Milo grew, right? Because it was that general adaptation syndrome before you knew it. There he is on the far right carrying a full grown bull. I'm sure this is an absolute true story. That's what I'm going with. Yes. I don't know how often I carry bulls around. However, yes, when you Your start guy, by... <laughs> he's growing. You never know. I mean, yes. So with my son, I still wish he would grow sometimes a little bit faster than he is in, in size, but definitely he's growing in height. Um, but this is, I think, a very important concept because to your point, you know, you will start to grow as you change the type of demand. And of course, that's when we're, we get into the next slide here, when we really think about what is it that we're trying to accomplish? What are the phases and what are they, they, um, the goals that we're trying to achieve? And if you're just joining us today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, Marty Miller and I are talking about resistance profiles and so far defining when we're talking about resistance training, what we mean. And, you know, I think that that concept, most of us know that's why we're in this business. But the said principle, I think, is extremely important. And that really builds the foundation 
of the NASM OPT model, because when we're talking about it, and like, you know, Marty just said, you get what you train for. So when you're thinking about the said principle, I mean, just to define it, it's a principle stating that the body is going to adapt to the specific demands that you're placing upon it. And then on top of that, you've got the law of accommodation, you know, and so this is when you're thinking, when you're thinking through some of these concepts, it's going to decrease in response of your body to a constant stimulus. So if you're always doing the exact same thing, you're not going to see the changes that you want. And, you know, your body adapts to the stress that you place upon it. And like you said, every time you work out, you're getting these micro tears and, and then your body has to go through a healing process. That's what gets us to grow. And so you want to think of the, think of it. Are you eating the right things? Are you warming up correctly? Do you have full available range of motion? Can you think about the types of repetitions that you want with quality of movement versus quantity? And then at that point, you know, every four to six weeks, reevaluate where you are, and then you can start to add more load versus starting out at you know, adding heavy load, seeing if you can do it to feel accomplished, knowing that you haven't taken the right steps to, as you say, earn the right to lift heavier because maybe you've got you know, your quality of movement isn't correct, or there's a lot of dysfunction that you're trying just to work around, which as we know, if you work around things the wrong way, you're applying stress to joints that are not beneficial. That's going to lead to long-term injury um, later down the road if you're not careful. Yeah. And, and when we go through the whole model, the said principle goes, you know, from corrective through stabilization to strength endurance, then, you know, the other phases of strength potentially into power. So it, 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 is for all phases. If you follow the model, the model's built with the right amount of sets and reps and work to rest ratio to get a very specific outcome based on the said principle. And they build off each other. So that way you're your best as you progress through the model. And I, I the quote here, I like, I don't know exactly who said it. So I couldn't, it, you know, wasn't my original thought. I heard it from someone. So it's anonymous. The, that's what we're going to go with. The body responds to stress, not an exercise. So even if I'm doing a chest press or a squat, it's a movement pattern under some level of, you know, stress, meaning whether it's endurance, stress, strength, endurance, stress, power, stress, that part doesn't matter. So it's not necessarily the exercise. It's the stress within a movement pattern. Indeed. <laughs> there you go. Oh, so Marty, you and your strength curves. I you know this to is totally, turn? totally you. So I'm going to, yes, I, because I know this brings a lot of joy. So I'm not going to take that joy away from you. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's why we make such a great team. Wendy, it's awesome. So when we look at strength curves, it's pretty simple. We have three different strength curves. We have an ascending, a descending, and a bell-shaped curve. So we're going to break it down, make it simple. So when you look at an exercise with an ascending strength curve, they're the easiest at the top of the exercise. So think of like a bench press or a squat, something like that, that once you get past the sticking point, as you go to the higher positions, um, it's easier. So this is where the musculoskeletal system gains a mechanical advantage. So in the descending strength curve, now we're going to look at the opposite. So you'll see the graph here as well. And it gives you kind of like the, the, the red and green lines. So in the descending strength curve, the exercises are hardest at the top of the range of motion while maximum strength is produced at the start of a lift. So think of like a pull-up, right? So pull-up is when you begin to struggle to get your chin at the bar during fatigue, that more is more of a descending strength curve. And so it's working against you. And then we have single joint exercises like a bicep curl where the hardest part of the motion is in the middle part. So it's not that hard. You can just look through the different exercises, a bench, 
obviously is going to be the ascending. Same thing with the squat. A pull-up is going to be the descending. And then a bicep curl is going to be more the bell-shaped curve. Well said, Marty. That's right. <laughs> so we're going back to here thinking about um, some definitions. And so when we talk about isotonic, you want to think about breaking this word up into what it actually means. So when you're thinking about iso, that means constant and tonic means tension. And so when you're thinking about an isotonic muscle contraction, that's where the force is produced as the muscle develops tension while visibly changing in length. So when you're thinking about that, you're thinking about the different types of machines. You can see this guy here, you know, doing a chest press. Again, you're going to think about the constant load that this guy has to do to get to the end range. Because as you know, if you push out, it's easier just to hold it there for a second and then bring it back down nice and slow. So again, thinking about why we do the tempos the way that we do it. So we're challenging our muscles at different times in different ways, utilizing different types of equipment. So then when you're thinking about isokinetic, again, kinetic meaning speed and the constant velocity in that movement, how fast are you moving it? So when a muscle shortens at a constant speed over the full available range of motion, this is when we're thinking about the isokinetic format. So an isokinetic muscle action requires the use of sophisticated equipment that measures the amount of force generated by the muscles and then adjusts the resistance or the load so that no matter what, and no matter how much tension you have and it's produced, that movement's gonna remain constant throughout the motion. And so I think that's when we start to really think about a machine's going to help guide you because it is something that's constant. You're able to kind of control that movement versus if you had something like a dumbbell that you have now have to deal with your spatial awareness to make sure that your elbows are staying bent, that, you know, you're, you're controlling that movement throughout. So I think that's really important too, when you're going through and you're starting to think about isotonic versus isokinetic, and then what is it that you're trying to achieve here? Right. And I think just to add a little bit to the, the great explanations you had is let's use the chest press. So, you know, people know I work for an amazing equipment manufacturer. So one of the advantages of the machine, besides the stability and all that kind of stuff, is they can come up with a cam type system to offset that strength curve. So if you look at a dumbbell, you're going to have your, you know, preset uh, sticking point and then it gets easier. Where if you look at a, a chest press machine, if it's designed properly, you that way the cam allows you to have more of a, a constant tension throughout the entire range of motion because they want to try not to make it too easy for you at certain points. A dumbbell is going to be a dumbbell no matter what. And then isotonic, you know, the thing is you could have someone like my size and someone like a, an elite football player. The bar is going to be moving at the same speed because the machine is always countering your force but the output of force will be measured by the machine. So for all of you that are joining us this week, I'm Marty Miller here as always on the Regional Master Structure Roundtable with Miss Wendy Batts. And we are talking about resistance profiles. Yes, we are. Sounds good anyway, right? We're going with it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so here we got inertia. So this is a resistance an object has to overcome to challenge its state of motion. And the absence of inertia reduces joint load at the beginning of the movement and the speed at the end. So, right. you know, for safe and low joint impact workouts, this is a way to think about it. I like the picture here, Marty, because it yep. actually makes sense. <laughs> and I think, I think the easiest way, because it's, again, this should be not only recorded on a Monday, it should be played on a Monday because we're going to keep coming back to chest press. 
So think about if I had a bar and I lower it first and then go into my repetition versus starting with dumbbells at the bottom or a machine where there's not like that kick assist that allows you to get the bar moving. It's always harder at the very beginning from that, that set position where there's no inertia. So that's where, again, you're just looking at how you're setting somebody up, what you're doing with the load, you know, and where the first part of the motion is. Yes. So then here, you're going to think about too, like elastic resistance. And I know this is where we're going to spend some time on here. And, you know, as defined, we're accommodating resistance as using, you know, the thought process that the special means to accommodate resistance throughout the entire range of motion, rather than at a specific point. So because some of the joint angles and the velocity of the movement, the force of the movement is less at certain joint angles. And so, you know, like you said, Marty, too, like when you're going down and doing a pushup, you know, it's hard when you go down and you're going down for tempo. So if you go down for four seconds, you pause at the bottom and you come up, it's really hard because your body weight and gravity is now going to take position. But if you can see here, I love doing these, especially as people get stronger, you put a resistance band against you. That band's going to want to throw you down, you know, at a faster you know, rate, because again, think about the band, but now when you push up, you're pushing up against resistance. So you, now you have to lift your body weight and the, the resistance of the band. And so, you know, often people are like, oh, I've got to put like a, you know, weight on my back in order to load it, or I've got to do these things. And, and guys, that's usually unsafe for someone, especially if they don't have a very strong core, because you're putting that amount of force and compression on your spine, when you can easily add resistance bands to challenge yourself, you know, because again, when you're the weakest, it's the strongest and vice versa. Now you're adding gravity to it. You're adding the actual motion and push up. And if this guy would add the plus, so he's not winging, it would be even more spectacular. You may not have got there. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Right, right. <laughs> but, but the use of bands is interesting. Forget that it's Instagrammable, but the real, like when you saying, the reason behind it is, and again, it doesn't have to be a chest press. It could be anything. It could be on a squat. You know, we just picked this picture is that, you know, think about a max bench press. If your max bench press, I know Wendy's is about 300 pounds. She on average. Is, you know, on a good day, right? She's only 300 pounds strong at the weakest point in that lift. So once she gets past that sticking point, she could probably handle more load, but because it's a bar, you can't just magically throw plates on. So she gets extra load in the mechanical advantage part of the lift. So a band is the way some people call it accommodating, but it really isn't. It's a variable because the band as it stretches gets more resistance. So that's a whole for another conversation in the research. But so if Wendy gets her 300 pound bench and she gets past the sticking point, all of a sudden the motion gets easier. Well, when the band starts to stretch, now she's getting more resistance in the position that she's stronger, but isn't loaded because she had to get past the sticking point. So that's truly one of the uses of a band. And that's where a lot of times you'll see it in performance because they want to maximize strength through the entire range of motion. Yep. And you have to control it on the way down too. And as we know, that's why, especially, you know, utilizing the model, when you think about it, our tempos for during the eccentric contraction are, are, you know, slower because you're having that constant of time under tension with those muscles. Well, now we've added that band. So when, you know, usually it's kind of easier to go down, down and complete it, even though, you know, you might've done it 
at a slower pace, so it's technically harder, um, you're fighting that resistance too, where it would want to throw you down at a quicker rate. You have to control that as well. So to your point, Marty, unless, you know, when you're using bands, I mean, I don't think we utilize them as much as we should because they can, they can really change someone's workout by just throwing bands on, you know, even the bar, like you said, the bar, whether you're doing, you know, chest squats, right. we utilize them a lot. We do them a lot in power um, because again, you know, it might be a little bit easier, but now we can add that resistance that wants to throw you back and you have to be able to control that at all times. Without a doubt. Yeah. Well said. So a couple more things here. I think we've kind of covered it. I'll just throw through these bullet points. So that accommodating resistance, or again, I'm going to use the term variable because of what we talked about, you know, fits exercise on that strength curve. We gave a great example of that we already talked about Wendy's awesome 300 pound bench press, that that is only a measure of her strength at her weakest point, which is fine. It's still acceptable to do those, but just understand that you have more strength throughout the other parts of the range of motion. So elastic could help that. And then, you know, that, that's the one rep max and then accommodating resistance or variable resistance can be used to work around injuries as well because as you start a joint motion there's not as much stress as if you're using a barbell or dumbbell and it allows that resistance profile to take out the stress of the inertia at the beginning of traditional isotonic exercises and then the last thing i could have put in there is a lot of us are weaker in our end range of motion so if i'm using a cable it's a constant but if I'm using a band for external resistance, as I get towards my weaker part, there's a little more resistance. So I can then train in end ranges of motion as well. So, and they travel easily. They're non-intimidating. That's right. Yes. And, and a good example of that too, is like, think about a Paloff press, you mm -hmm. know? So that's one of the ones that, you know, we, we utilize a lot too. And, and for those that are kind of new to a, a Paloff press, you know, if you're using a cable to your point, Marty, I mean, yes, it's heavier. You have to hold it, but but it's easier, like if you have a band, you know, you can choose obviously the thickness of the band, but when you go to that end range and you hold it for three to five seconds and then slowly bring it back, it's going to want to throw you back very quickly because it's going to, it's a, it's a quote, rubber band, if you will. And so you have to maintain that constant control. So for somebody that's kind of new to exercising and you, you know that they're weak in certain parts and they're not ready to load heavily, or to your point, Marty, they're coming out of some kind of, you know, surgery or they're, you know, injured and you're, you're bringing them back, you know, this, you know, bands can, can really help somebody. And, and like you said, you can throw it in your suitcase and travel with them. And there you have it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So a few more things here. Uh, I think we covered all this here. So you look at uh, the vulnerable range of motion, minimize increases the amount of time the bar accelerates so if you're doing power right it's not full power because at some point you do have to decelerate but because the band is creating the tensile strength you get to accelerate through more of your range of motion so that's great and then also as you mentioned is uh the time um sorry excuse me the, the athlete will have to accelerate the bar geez increasing the mass band tension being lifted throughout the entire range so just so many different benefits to it. Don't just do it because it's cool and Instagrammable. Understand the science behind it. And then you yeah. can do it for Instagram. And I love this exercise. I do this all the time with my clients. It's one that I really, really like because it challenges the core. Obviously, you're having to maintain, you know, good core stabilization in order to stay on the bench so you don't fall over. Doing single arm, obviously, you're having to think through that. And then now with the, the band, you have to control it. So if you're thinking of a four to one, you push up for one hold and then you have to lower yourself down slowly and make sure you don't fall off the bench. So everything has to be 
um, really kind of dialed in just to make sure that your form is ideal and exceptional through it. So, you know, if you only have, let's say, 30 pound weights and you know that somebody can lift more weights, then throw a band around it. So therefore, it's it's not the number that's on the dumbbell. It's can they control it with what you know they can easily do. But now through that that new resistance placed upon it, it is something completely different. And it's going to challenge the core in a way different way, as well as the chest, obviously. All right, now we're going to move into viscous. So now we're going to talk about as if you were applying force underwater. Now, again, you know, we, there are pieces of equipment out there that can apply from a motor, a viscous response. So it's going to be the same. So viscosity is the consistency between solid and liquid. Viscous resistance, the load increases or decreases depending on the speed of the movement. So if I'm, the, let's say this individual is doing a, tor a torso rotation and they go slow, there's going to be resistance but if they accelerate, there's going to be more resistance. That, so that's due to the viscosity. But one of the best things about viscosity is as soon as I stop, the resistance is gone immediately. Mm -hmm. So it's very safe. So sometimes if I'm doing power cleans, kettlebell swings, plyos, if I need to take a time out, you still got to finish the repetition. <laughs> you better have an exit strategy, right? So in water or viscosity, when you're done, it's done. So it's really safe. It's a great way to train, to develop power, metabolic conditioning. So I think everyone should consider how they can apply some type of viscous resistance, maybe sometimes the year in their program. Yes. And I always find this interesting because I've seen this, this, I mean, this is totally off topic, but when I look at this picture, I'm like, I don't know anyone that actually wears their shoes and socks in the pool when they're doing this. So I don't know if I'm missing something here. <laughs> But I did find that kind of uh, amusing because, I mean, you They're know. They're probably water shoes. Let's give them credit there. Right, right. So maybe With he was doing some on. sprints and didn't want to tear up his feet. I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot to it. But I was just going to make that known that I did notice that. And I don't know if anybody else that actually watches this sees it too. We're on the same page for sure. Um, but I love doing pool workouts. I think, you know, doing that, especially, you know, somebody that's coming out of rehab, um, there are so many different variations and now they make all those really cool pool actual weights where you're doing the same thing. So it's not just kickboards and just working mm -hmm. on your kicks and, and things like that. But there are so many different variations and, you know, the, the workouts in the water can really, really help someone, especially when you're trying to, to build max contraction because you're not loading your spine as much. And so it can be a little more gentle, gentle on the body as you're going through that. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yep. And today on this week's Master Instructor Roundtable, myself, Wendy Batts, is here with Marty Miller, and we're talking about resistance profiles. So we're talking about the importance of thinking about the exercises that you're choosing, always making sure that you've got good form. But then when you're thinking about resistance, it's really good to switch it up because there's so many different variations to think about, whether you know, you're looking at a bell curve, what type of exercise are you trying to accomplish, and what kind of stress and strain are you putting on the muscle in order to get it to you know, it's maximal contraction and are there ways without just loading things heavily that you can utilize um, such as resistance bands or like you said, Marty, thinking about isotonic versus isokinetic type type um, machines, if you can find stuff like that. I mean, I know Technogym has some amazing stuff. We use those a lot on the leg presses, especially where mm -hmm. we are, um, because we can take some of the tension off. We can do a lot of power stuff and then we can load it pretty heavy as well, depending on on what you guys have available, there are certain ways that you can manipulate that same movement that someone does each and every time they go into the gym. 
Yeah, and I think you know part of the key takeaways or part of why I think Wendy and I wanted to do this topic for all of you is, you know, when we I'm dating ourselves here, when we got into this industry, Instagram and Facebook and things like that weren't something for us to gather information. So there's nothing wrong with it. I like when people put out information, but what we're seeing is a lot of people see an exercise and they just go mimic it and they don't reverse engineer it from the five kinetic chain checkpoints, what phase of training, and then what type of load are they applying? So go out and discover different exercises, but use a critical eye of thinking. Say, okay, I see them using kind of like the flywheel, which is an eccentric. I see them doing this, this, and this, or an elastic. or So now you can say, okay, that makes sense to me with this type of client for this type of part of training. So don't just mimic something. You know, it's, I, I, there's the exercise. I'm like, oh, that's a cool variation. But I always run it back through the model and say five kinetic chain checkpoints, what phase of training does it belong and what's the resistance profile? And then from there, you know, there's a lot you can do. So again, are you doing resistance training versus strength training, right? There is a block designated for strength training, but not every time you do resistance, you're not always targeting strength, right? There's stabilization and endurance and then power. Focus on the difference in resistance profiles. And then, as I said multiple times, utilize those different resistance profiles within the OPT model. Well said, so. <laughs> well, this week was actually really fun. I was excited when you said you wanted to do it because I know obviously you're super passionate about it and you get to work with some of the uh, cool pieces of equipment that are out there that some of us, um, you know, have just seen on Instagram or Facebook um, or have had the chance to, to play around with. So definitely look and see what you're able to use. Make sure, number one, that it makes sense for your clients. Have fun with your, you know, creativity and the programming. But again, think about all of the acute variables within the program to make sure that they can still maintain that and that the quality of movement is always there. Don't try to load something because it's cool or try to use resistance bands or some other types of resistance that isn't going to benefit your client if they cannot do it correctly. So if you have questions um, and you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13, or you can send me an email at wendy.bats at nasm.org. And then our producer is going to throw mine up instantly, just like that, dr.martymiller72. And then my email is marty.miller at nasm.org. We can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. So Wendy, as always, thank you so much for your uh, knowledge and willing to share that. And for all of you that joined us, we look forward to seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.